Welcome to The Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. First, I want to thank each and every one of you for downloading, listening, and enjoying Healing Ground Movement podcast. It has been my absolute pleasure to bring you incredible interviews with some amazing people. It has been the highlight of my week to show up and have these conversations knowing I'll get to share them with you. Now, over the last two years, we've done so with very little advertising. Mostly, this has been a passion project that I just can't get enough of. We're going to start bringing in a few affiliate links, and I want to make a promise to you that I am never going to share a product or a service with you that I don't absolutely believe in, wouldn't use myself, or recommend for my patients. In the meantime, if you have loved the content of this podcast and you want to say a little thank you, you can buy me a coffee. You can head to our website, healinggroundmovement.com, or find us on Instagram, Healing Ground Movement, and visit the link in our bio. You can donate as much or as little as you would like, and all of it will go a very long way. So thank you so much for your time and commitment to this podcast, to this movement. I am ecstatic to continue to bring you amazing content, have many more amazing conversations to come. And on that note, please enjoy the next episode of Healing Ground Movement podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. I am Dr. Carly Hudson and we have Loris Nemetz joining us today. Um, I am so excited. I will give you her official um, background and story as well, but we're going to get right into my favorite little nerdy topic. It's about movement and form and fascia and expression and how the body so often holds the keys, these missing pieces to what's going on in our world. And so I am just jazzed. I love every interview that we have on this podcast, but when we get into my little nerd topic, I am, I am all there for it. So with no further ado, Lori is an adjunct associate professor at Pace University and 2020 President's Award recipient for Outstanding Contribution. She is also a licensed creative arts therapist, a member of the American Association of Anatomy, a board certified member of the Academy of Dance Movement Therapists, a certified yoga teacher at the experienced 500 hour level, a Stotts Pilates instructor, a certified yoga therapist, and an occasionally kayaking guide. She is past president of the Yoga Teachers Association and has taught international workshops in movement, yoga, anatomy, and anatomical dissection for over two decades. I think it's safe to say Lori likes to move. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Beautiful. I should have practiced your bio before. That was a tongue twister. Do you know (laughs) how many alliterations you packed in there? (laughs) I did. Yeah, I know. I actually, as you were reading it, I was like, wow, that was quite a test for your skill set. And people always actually are oftentimes kind of curious because they're like, you do all these very different things. And yet there is a common thread, as mm-hmm. we you know, actually mentioned a little bit before, that um, all of this definitely has a lot to do with movement and also 
So that piece of kind of art has had a thread throughout it all as well. So there is, yeah, there's a little bit of both of that in whatever I do. So yeah. <laughs> love it. Well, where did you start? I mean, that, there's so many things and they, and they do see how they stack one upon another. How did you start this journey into movement and this artful expression and healing? Um, it's, it's a good question. And I could go, could I go back or go way, way back to get there? Um, but I, even as an undergraduate in college, I was an art history and French major and danced on the side and took psychology on the side. Um, I came into dance movement therapy for grad school, but I, I always had an interest in everything at once, maybe Renaissance type of style of everything, of, of looking at art, but looking at it through science, looking at it. You know, I did an independent study in high school um, because we didn't have a, a big high school. <laughs> we had a little teeny tiny high school, but I did an independent study on, you know, um, some orange mold and how, how we might prevent it and those sorts of things. But it was always kind of inquiry into how to look at things and how to see relationship. And that was the case, whether I'm looking at a piece of artwork and looking at that relationship between things, or if I'm kayaking and I have to read the water for where I'm going, mm-hmm. or dissection, where we're gonna go next and what this body particularly tells us, or anything along all those, those lines put together. So, um, yeah, it's been kind of an exploration, I have to say, that started while back, and it just has kept going. At first, I was always like, well, how odd I started as an art historian undergrad and then got into all of this um, movement work. But it was a thread that's helped me inform, you know, everything mm-hmm. else that I do. So, Yeah. Well, I think starting with art, if I can suppose, because I love seeing the world that way, and it is just these layers of mimicry and form, um, you start out with this sort of global form idea, and then you get to see the story overlaid on everything. And I started out... um, I started out actually as a creative writing major uh, way back when. So a little bit of the form within story, within, you know, the written word, but then I quickly shifted over to psychology and anatomy and that. And it was a little bit of a working backward when you have function given to you, because that's how medicine is taught in whatever form it's function. So you came form to function. And those of us who start in medicine are lucky if we can take function into form because that's where the whole story gets to really express itself and get really deep, muddy, and productive, like kayak water. (laughs) I'm so glad you mentioned all that too, because I think actually the way I came into anatomy also gave me those um, viewpoints to look at things that weren't what was just currently being taught. So Mm -hmm. perspective and perception has been really important to me in some of the papers I've been writing or presenting. Um, because again, I know you love fascia as well, and we've, <laughs> we've been talking in that world too, um, that fascia really in traditional medicine is, you, you know, it's the stuff you throw away. That's mm-hmm. what goes in the bucket and you get it out of the way in order to look at the pretty things underneath and the structures and the systems people think are what's important. Mm-hmm. And by having maybe that artist's perspective, I was like, well, let's do a ground shift, you know, in perspective. Let's look at what 
the negative space, quote unquote, is in, in a body system? And what do we see about all of that? And that can then change the way you see connections, can see the way of functionality, can see how not only we do movement strategy, but you know, in terms of, okay, anatomical you know, perspective, we're, we're much more than these levered parts, but mm-hmm. where did that perspective come from? You know, so it, yeah. it becomes an interesting um, game of understanding, oh, let's unwrap some of this and also mm-hmm. see where the art fits in, where this is, yeah, meandering mm-hmm. about time. Oh, I love fascia as negative space. I, that I think just shifted <laughs> everything for me in such a beautiful way. Um, my art is not in drawing, so I, I like having the words to describe it, but it, you're making me think of when, you know, when I was in, um, grad school, getting my doctorate, we did, um, as it's, it's, it's typical it, to do a full body dissection. We did, um, nine months, three quarters, went through all the systems, all the muscles, everything. And before that, when I was in massage training, I was lucky enough to go to a couple of cadaver dissections there as well. And for those who I will say aren't lucky enough to have had this immense honor of really seeing the human body from the inside out, it is just as Lori, as you were saying, is about getting into what is this lever? What is this structure of a muscle? What does it connect to? What is the structure of an artery? What does it connect to? And it's a hunt and find and a search and destroy mission and later on, I went to a fascial dissection. This was long past graduation. There was a, a cadaver dissection that was meant for fascia. And I had this flashback in horror of all the fascia I had just destroyed, <laughs> just like pushing my way through the underbrush without any respect for what is holding up these large systems. And it is this fuzzy connective tissue that has a story all of its own and nothing like the levers and pulleys that we have grown so accustomed to in the body. Right, right. So it becomes, yeah, and also adding on to that, depending what type of dissection you went for, you may have had embalmed tissue or you may have had unembalmed tissue. And that even now that I've spent, you know, hundreds of dissections where I've seen both, you see the difference and how that changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I mean, just the ability to see the fluid nature that's in there in fascia. Um, whereas if it's an embalmed cadaver, that shatters when mm-hmm. you put your scalpel through it or your finger through it. Whereas in an unembalmed cadaver, you can see a little bit of that shape change that is mm-hmm. still there in the body system and is beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, that type of level of things changes your perspective of what you're looking at and how you look at it. And we're still really privileged, those of us who've been in dissection labs, to get to get to do that. It's still a, a rare experience. Um, so, yeah. And then we think about, because I want to bring us back to this expression of, of life and form. And I think about, um, because the, the fascial dissection I did do was, was unembalmed and it, it it was wildly different. And it makes me think of trying to interpret the world through going outside and let's say sitting under a tree and the wind is blowing through the tree and the leaves are moving and everything is very dynamic and very textured. And you can see how it is all playing together. 
And that is sort of fascia alive in the body mm-hmm. versus um, if you have this embalmed uh, structured tissue that is um, like it would shattered and contained, it would be like taking a picture of that same tree, that same meadow that you were just sitting in and trying to gain as much information as you could pretending that you were sitting under the tree. Right. Right, exactly. So it changes your perspective in the way that you can understand something. Mm -hmm. And even just asking questions. I'm somebody who just loves to ask questions. This is part of, I think, science and art and all of that are people that love to ask questions, psychology as well. Um, Just by asking the questions and reframing things too, you have a new perspective into things. I love, there's Frank Wilzik. I have his book actually nearby me. Your, your radio audience, your podcast won't be able to hear that, but but it's a lovely book where you can put in notes or wherever called A Beautiful Question. And this is, he's a physicist. And I was like, oh, this book really resonated with me um, because he asked basically, does life express itself um, in beauty and in form? And kind of the answer, the, the, I'll give away a little bit of the book, the short answer is that, <laughs> that whether it's mathematics or music or anatomy or anything else, geometric form, there is a tendency to express um, into what we consider beautiful, which mm. I think is just such a profound, I'm still wrapping my mind around all of this, but you know, I love, I love thinking about that that way. Cause like also then think about your next walk you take outside. If you see the world out of that perspective of it's expressing itself through beauty, it won't be like, oh, this has just, you know, this is what an awful space I'm in or whatever else you can maybe reframe it. Mm-hmm. And I know you had a guest on recently that was on environmental space. It's another area I really mm-hmm. am passionate about because I see it both internally and externally yeah. and how our external environmental space re-impacts our internal environmental mm-hmm. space. Yeah. So, so, yeah, we had Cami Gilner on um, just a, a couple of, well, by the time this is published, it might have been a month and a half ago, but she is talking about how our home reflects us and has that expression of, of form in life, what we're looking for, what we, we feel like we deserve and, and functionality in the world. And we are a reflection. And, and I think we can start to talk about that idea of expression, maybe taking that movement, that walk. Um, you know, the dead tissue version of it is I need to go get exercise. I need to move for 30 minutes prescribed. Done. But we can, uh, you can tell what I think about that. Um, We can add so much. We can stack layers on that where we don't just get the movement, which our body desperately needs, but we get the experience. And when we look at that beauty and expression within the walk, how does it feel to be in my body? How does it feel to be in my body in these clothes? How does it feel to be in my body in these clothes with this sun shining on me, with this breeze? These are all vitamins that are part of our experience that impact how our body moves and our, our whole health, we, we can't break into pieces anymore and still think we're pursuing health, in my opinion. Right there with you. Absolutely. Right there with you. And that's why, you know, I mean, as far as just taking it down to the level of, 
of movement, we know we mean fascia-wise, scientifically, okay, fascia responds well to multi-vectors, multi-directionality. That sounds really, you know, whatever, but you take it outside, you take it on a trail, you can't help but to take your body into unpredictable ways. Mm-hmm. You mean if I take, I'm lucky that I can access a trail that's fairly nearby me and I walk daily, every sort of weather, <laughs> every sort of whatever. And it's it's vast enough that I change direction and whatever else. But apart from that, because it's environment, um, there'll be a day that the gravel is loose on an, an end of the trail or there's, you know, it's wet and it's slippery. Those sorts of levels of also interacting unpredictably mm-hmm. set me up for other things in my life where life is, life is unpredictable. So we have to be resilient to that. And it's both in terms of the anatomy, but as you well know, too, in terms of psychology, we mm-hmm. have the same, same thing. I got my start when I was working a lot of dance movement therapy, working post 9-11. And we talked a lot, we moved a lot about how to be more resilient in terms of um, big stressors and how we can respond from that. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's unpredictable, but get the body to to respond in ways that we can go onwards. Because yep. we, it's another area where we think that we need to compartmentalize. Um, that what on earth does resilience after a trauma like 9-11 have to do with resilient in movement in my body and dance, let alone not slipping and totally eating it on gravel. Um, But when it comes to how we adapt and how our body moves fluidly and expresses itself, resilience is resilience is resilience. And what, what you practice in one place is going to show up in another because it is this cue to your brain of, oh, I could handle this. I could handle it over here. Maybe I can handle it over here. Or I never tried to handle this. I'm not sure I can. Maybe I'm going to fail and and now we're in a panic spiral. Both paths are uh, totally accessible depending on what you've practiced, what kind of resilience and expression you have played with in your day-to-day. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm wondering if this would probably be a good time to do just a and I know this is a big thing I'm asking for a crash course in, but for people who are hearing us throw away the word fascia, um, but don't quite understand what we're talking about, can you give us the Reader's Digest version of what's fascia and why do we care? Okay. Um, yeah, and there's there's places to go to get more of that information, but the short, short version is it is a type of connective tissue, like you said, but there are more connective tissues than, than just fascia itself. Interestingly enough, the definition keeps changing. This is one of the things in science that happens. So our definition of is it encompassing all of these different places or not, you know, these definitions get talked about in um, Fascia Research Society and re-put out there every few years. So the definition does keep changing, but the very, very short version that we can kind of think of is for those of you who are meat eaters, or if you're not a meat eater, that's okay as well. You just can vision um, mm-hmm. if you have that chicken breast with the white that is encompassing that. But even more to the point, um, the plant version of it is that cellulose. So if you have that orange and you've unpeeled your orange and you see the white that is connecting in different forms, 
um, that is very much like your fascia in the body. In fact, so much so, um, that's one of the things I did years back in dissection lab. I did a decellularization of a heart, um, <laughs> which was to be similar to taking, if you had an orange, taking away everything that was not the orange pulp and leaving behind that white connection. So why do we care about things like this? Well, in short term, some things like ghost organs, the reason why is they're trying to start doing this so they could strip an organ of everything but fascia, the extracellular matrix to be really specific, and rebuild that organ so that it can come back into the body and be accepted. That's a really lovely thing when you think about shape and form. On another level, this more globally kind of biological fabric is another description that I love of this or in kind of internal architecture of the body, but mobile architecture of the body. Um, it is really keyed into movement. So if we think about it, again, you've been in dissection lab, we'll describe for those who have not been, the places where that fascia tend to be in, in greater form is between muscles and in between the septum and little divides. Why? Because that's where we do a lot of movement. They're also wrapping little teeny tiny, you know, fibers on a micro level too. But in larger areas, you'll see it as those places again where movement is. Or <laughs> if you're not moving so well, where there's sometimes built up an extra restriction in there. So we'll, you know, again, it's why should we care about it? We're starting to find out that it's important in all sorts of um, communication in the body system between different things, even potentially hormonally, um, as well as all these other parts. You know, there's people like, again, Carla Stecco and Katerina Fede who are looking into some of those areas as well. You know, as too, I'm of age, I'm right on the cusp of perimenopausal, menopausal lifestyle here. I'm, you know, I'm 52. And um, things like, I mean, thinking about how fascia changes during changes of life and hormone levels um, can be important too. If I'm training an athlete and also have to decide about, you know, what, what is getting injured? Is it fascia, is it, is it muscle? Think about your athlete that trains really quickly. They're rarely hurting themselves muscularly. They often hurt themselves fascially. Well, if we understand, okay, fascia trains slower, but is more resilient if it trains well, then I can start to go, okay, I'm training differently in the body system. Um, so that becomes this kind of net and fabric that we go, okay, wow, it has a lot of interplay with everything else in the body. Mm -hmm. Is it everything? No, it's everything with everything else, like anything in our body system. Um, but it's been under underplayed for a while mm -hmm. of its importance. And now we're starting to realize, hey, if we pay attention to this, maybe we can unwind more things that we really hadn't been able to figure out before. Mm -hmm. I think that's fascinating too. So. I mean, I, you, you're uh, sharing with me some applications of, of fascial research that I'd never heard before, like the ghost organ um, aspect of it. I was like, that is so cool. I mean, it's, it is leaving behind the cradle, the holding 
of of that organ so that it it almost just has a safe place to land. And you know, we can talk about communication and expression. Not isn't that what we look for in the world and as without within? I mean, we've got so many layers going on there. Uh, pun intended. I'll go with, <laughs> but. But yeah, with fascia being that negative space, being the pause within the music, the space between the muscles, it allows for the dynamic moment. Mm -hmm. And so even within it being connective tissue, packed within that connective tissue, we are still learning about, and I'd love what you know, to share what you know about this, we're still learning about the different types of um, neuron receptors that are within that tissue. I mean, we have neuron receptors. um, These are just our little um, information buttons that are throughout Mm -hmm. our body that tell us where we are in space, that put feedback into our autonomic nervous system, which talks about fight, flight, freeze, um, and emotional response. These exist within our fascia. Um, Mm -hmm. They are dynamic and full of fluid. So our hydration or lack thereof, our buoyancy and movement or lack thereof impacts these buttons, which impacts our movement. Like you said, it's not everything, but it is um, within and among everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And all those things. So most people, I mean, know proprioception, but Mm -hmm. now we're getting to some of the finer little details um, of some of these other types of things of being going, okay, what is it that when we internally feel something, not just proprioception of looking out into space of where we are in space. So some of these things, like you said too, there's a lot that's getting studied right now that some of you mean Dr. Schleip's work, Robert Schleip is, is doing some of that work. I like to highlight other people out there where to go. Um, David Lasondak has a really great book on just kind of taking fascia down to basics, as well as he has a medical applications book that he co-edited recently. So there's a lot of different now resources of where to start to go um, with all of that too. Mm -hmm. But also for your listeners, it's just also the curiosity about your own body and and how you're feeling and how you express yourself and and just start to play with some of that um, work as well. It's it's interesting. I think there was a lot even in the creative arts therapy that was intuitively playing with some of these pieces of fascial work before we knew how to label it. And now we're getting some of the science to back some of that up. So it's it's interesting. But I mean, cancer research, there's Dr. Helene Langevin, who's doing work with looking at, um, you know, mice doing kind of basically up dogs when they grab onto a corner of a, a table. And that stretch, that action of movement actually helps suppress some of the cancer um, expression in the cell. So, you know, we get to have these ideas like, huh, okay, so, you know, again, what mechanisms might be working? Why might acupuncture, which has a twist that might be stimulating that fascia like a, you know, spaghetti around a fork time, you know, how does this work and how can we do this effectively in our own bodies to take care of ourselves and health and wellness? Yeah, it's fascinating time. We're really starting to see movement as its own form of nutrition and nutritional deficiencies of that movement. And I'm borrowing all this language from Katie Bowman, who is... Yeah, I was going to say she's the one who puts this into those terms beautifully. Oh, yeah. I mean, where she dove it. So there's another fantastic 
fantastic um, resource to go through and all of her stuff is really accessible um, talking about movement. And if anybody knows her, I'd love to interview her, just throwing that out there. Um, but that she talks about um, this movement nutrition and where we start to see, and that, Lori, as you're talking about fascia and these different moves, how this is impacting our health, that it's no longer sufficient to say you need to exercise. And for one to exercise, we typically pick the one exercise we love. We love lifting weights. So we do our bicep curls and we do our squats, but we're repeating the same movements at the same angles and the same forces. And while that makes our muscles big and plump, it doesn't necessarily feed our fascia and create those different forces that will put pressure and stimulate all of those buttons that we talked about in ways that, as it turns out, dramatically impact our health, suppressing cancer, improving our immune system, all of these things. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's interesting people who've done, Michelle Delcour, who, who created the viper, um, the mm -hmm. tubes that you may have seen that um, are weighted tubes at different levels and, and they're moved around different angles. He got the idea out of seeing that, you know, the farm kids coming off the farms in Canada were doing better on the hockey teams than the kids who were training in the traditional gyms. Mm -hmm. So he had the idea, well, how can we create, you know, kind of an exercise system, I mean, based around multi-vector and loading like you would do in farm work that you're not exactly getting the same load the same angle each time but you are creating more um, resilience and a better ability and I mean as you mentioned too what's interesting is we tend to get an you know exercise machine doesn't matter if you're male or female or you know whatever your gender identification or whatever it is it is set to a certain you know thing with very minimal ability to adjust for our type of body. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is you may be coming into something, like you said, you may love doing weights, but is that what's best for your body system? Mm -hmm. We know from fascial science that there are people that seem to be more um, flexible and those who seem to obviously have stiffer components in their body system. Um, a lot of those people with the stiffness in the body system, they're proprioceptively aware that's great, but they are lacking some of the range of motion, but some of the people with range of motion that are really out there, they're flocking to yoga class and going into end range or beyond end range instead of working the strengthening aspects. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to think about, you know, again, how do we train? How do we intelligently look at the people who are in front of us? Mm -hmm. That's true, whether it's psychology, whether it's, you know, anything, just how mm -hmm. do we look at the person in front of us and work with that in terms of, you know, healthy movement? Yeah. yeah in that form of communication and expression that it's the body speaks kind of as, as the mind, as the mouth um, that we, we find hunger for things that are familiar, um, that are comfortable. That's what we seek as humans. It's at that very base level of our neurology. Um, we want comfort and safety. And so if you are that stiffer individual, your comfort and safety is not about stretching out your arm and seeing where end range is because you're very used to a smaller arena. And that suits weightlifting really well. And we follow that hunger to the activity that reinforces something that we've already patterned. 
same thing with yoga. And I'm, I'm one of those hypermobile people and I've been doing yoga since I was 10. Like I found it and I love it. Um, But without strengthening, I am a hot mess of pain because we need to get that other layer. We need to push ourselves just like in psychology, just like even in uh, what we fill our plate with for dinner. We need the variety that sometimes includes the things that we don't really want to stomach. (laughs) Eating some healthy peas in there or getting your lima beans. (laughs) But yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely in, in all of that and challenging yourself always, you know, mentally physically all of that that's why in some ways too um pandemic has been so hard people have been in very sometimes narrow movement spaces as well Mm -hmm. and you know that confinement um as well as just you know not seeing people the same way face to face until recently is a very different type of interaction of how Mm -hmm. we relate how we communicate Um, Mm -hmm. so it's be an interesting place too. How some people have done really well through this pandemic, and some people it's become a really challenging time to figure out how to move and how to stay healthy in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that kind of brings me back to something that you said earlier that I thought um, was just a, a great observation: is that we've been intuitively playing with fascia. Um, in, in medical fields and movement fields, but I also think in our own homes and, and watching our cats and dogs move. And I just got baby chickens and they're, they're moving their fascia. <laughs> um, can you talk to us a little bit about how we might have accidentally been introducing ourselves to this system of the body all along? Um, well, big way that I definitely resonates with me is traditionally through dance, through mm-hmm. folk dance. And I'm not saying anything high level or training or whatever, but um, this was even part of my master's thesis before I was into fascia, was looking at folk dance forms and how they related into what we needed movement wise. And there were people like Alan Lomax, who was very well known for the Smithsonian Folkway recordings. He also actually got a little bit involved in movement work as well, looking at a system he called choreometrics with some other people from the movement field, looking at, again, if you're in a mountainous region, your folk dances are gonna also practice that because we kind of practice what we need. So these beautiful folk dances, which are very calming in pattern, um, oftentimes too, and very long in different forms, oftentimes reflect what we might need environmentally, space around us as well as practice. So, for example, you know, I'm just honing into one little area in the whole wide world. There are so many beautiful folk dances everywhere and African dance and everything else that I would love to touch into. But just for for narrowing in for a moment, if you think of, too, some of the folk dances, there's a lot of practicing, too, of one leg and taking that balance. And these are people from little teeny tiny to the elderly that would traditionally dance together in these sorts of ways and practice these different forms. Sometimes the dances would speed up and whatever else too. And because you're moving with everybody else, there is a level of getting pulled or some unpredictability, but also community. Um, So I just, I find those sorts of things interesting. We've lost a lot of that 
in modern culture, mm -hmm. wherever you go in the world. And that up until very, very recently used to be such a big part of how we as humans expressed ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I would love to see more of that aspect of life come back at some point, maybe post-pandemic people will be so hungry for, for movement and whatever that will we'll come up with new new dance forms. You don't know, um, it could happen. But yeah, so there was a practice already for um, kind of resiliency in the fascia, I think, all along with that. Well, and it ha that dance is such a beautiful example. It, it layers everything. It stacks mm -hmm. everything. That, yeah. Um, you know, and, and when you talk about it, it matches our environment. And I think about how sterile and, and flat and uniform and seated our environment is in modern world. And like, yeah, it's no wonder we don't dance. There's no, there's no expression. And I, I say that casually. I mean, I know a lot of people are just hung, have been hungry to dance all last year, not being able to go out and get sweaty in crowds. But, um, but as a cultural, as um, that continuation of folk dance and community dance, um, we're sterile, and and there's not a lot of there's not a lot to practice about sitting down. We we right. do it. Um, but when we talk about fascia being this space and having the emotional connection, again, this isn't about going to a Zumba class and moving because you haven't moved all week, and that's when you're gonna do it. You you said you're being jostled and pushed. You're in other people's places. You are having that resiliency. Mm -hmm. um, you have community, and community is one of the most important pillars of keeping ourselves healthy. So you're doing that emotional expression within community, and there is, you know, a multitude of amazing research talking about how when you do things in rhythm with other people you are more likely, even after the rhythm exercise, the community dance or, you know, the experiment in the Stanford lab rooms ends, you are still more likely to be helpful and collaborative with this person than when you have behaved outside of rhythm. And this touches to those buttons, those sensory buttons packed within our fascia, packed within our rhythm that we are only just beginning to understand at a scientific level but have nonetheless existed for millennia. Absolutely, absolutely. We have evidence on, you know, the, the old cave paintings everywhere that, you know, dance was um, very much important. And it's also, I think that's part of the reason I, I first dove so deep into that as a field as a dance movement therapist, because, um, you know, pre-verbal, here you have your, your, la your language of the body speaking first. And that's powerful language um, so that, you know, it's an interesting thing to, to be in relationship with people through that nonverbal communication. And even as we're talking now, we're on Zoom together and we are reading cues off of each other. And we're nodding at each other and we're, you know, I can see we both are like, yeah. <laughs> and um, those sorts of cues that we have in there that we play off of mm -hmm. um, with other people is really, really actually important um, mm -hmm. part of it all. So. And that kind of brings us to this conversation about stories and expression. And, you know, we hold the stories in our body. Um, we're going to link one of our first conversation about um, fascia with, with another Lori, but Lori Legatsky um, talked about trauma in the body and fascia and that kind of release. So we did kind of a deep dive around that, oh gosh, about two years ago almost. But 
I want to come back around full circle and talk about those stories in our body and that expression and community. And again, that form versus function and where we end up. I mean, that's a big garbage dump of words. So please pick out what you want and run with it. (laughs) Um, Well, it's it's interesting you say that because one of my favorite um, writers was Barry Lopez, who passed away this past year. Nature writer, but that only scratches the surface of what he all did. He was really about talking about um, ideas, stories, everything else environment in terms of nature, but environment in terms of people too. And he has this lovely quote about all we are are stories and compassion. That's all we are. And that just has always resonated with me. Yeah, jot that down. I'm, I'm writing. I'm writing. <laughs> That's very low pass. And I actually, I mean, when I did um, this past fall, I did a dissection lab with my friend and colleague, Leslie Kamenoff, um, who's from Yoga Anatomy. Um, we collaborated on this lab and um, it was that was what I opened up with too for our lab space in lab for people. Because even as we um, are before, for example, a cadaver, we don't know the full story that person has. We will never know. You mean their loved ones don't fully know. They have only one take of what had happened there too. What we see even in our dissection lab is kind of the seashell, what I describe always, the seashell, the form that remains. We can unwind a lot of stories from that, but we won't still know full stories. And oftentimes we don't get details, you know, or minimal, we'll share minimal just for sake of privacy too, of course, with people. Um, but you still can have such compassion too. You mean in that as well, of course, Mm -hmm. that, and people tend to be wowed over by how miraculous the body is, what a universe there is in there. I know, you know, that too, having been in, in different labs that people then go out, especially after a, um, unembalmed tissue lab and they go, Oh, it looks like the tree outside that, you know, yeah. Those sorts of things. You're like inner space is outer space. It's back to inner space. This looks like the brachial plexus and it's outside now too. So you get excited about all of this and get turned on by the fact of, again, this is almost like goes back to Frank Wilsick's the world expressing itself through beauty and Mm -hmm. form. This really, you know, resonates with me. So that in a cadaver lab, sometimes I people go, well, isn't that a glum place to spend a lot of time? And I'm like, no, it's it's beautiful. And I think, you know, a lot of the people I've met along the way have spent a lot of time. They're the most interesting people turned on, you know, plugged into life type of people I know, maybe because you see, see it on the other end in some way, but you also see um, how much is is beautiful in that body. Mm -hmm. No matter what diseases we name or whatever we unwind that way, there is so much that is just stunningly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And also oftentimes we're seeing, you know, um, bodies, they've lived life. There are lots of evidence of where scars have been in our life and, you know, the older I get to, I'm like, okay, yeah, there's going to be some more interesting little bends and twists and turns in this body <laughs> as I go. Um, but it's, it becomes an interesting story too. Mm-hmm. So 
Do we treat that with compassion? And as you know, in therapy too, that's part of it as well. Can we treat, you know, I almost always see myself in those situations as a therapist as also a trail guide of sorts. Mm -hmm. I'm not fixing somebody. That's never my role. I know I've hiked a lot, quote unquote, metaphorically, but what I want to do for the person is go, okay, here are some, some options of where you can go. You have to do the work to hike there, but you know, these are some, some pointers or markers that I know about. Um, and oftentimes too, when you have somebody, at least I, I find people who want to meet me in my space, I wait till they're ready to come. <laughs> really wait until they're ready to come because then they they are you know there to to work and and do the process i'm not i'm just guiding mm -hmm. i'm helping guide i'm not i'm not doing the work for them so i'm kind of again like you kind of um cringe a little bit with the prescribed exercise or prescribed anything mm -hmm. because it's like well does it hit who i'm seeing in front of me and at this moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. It's, it's so true. And, and they do have to show up. I've had pace, patients show up in my office because their loved one has brought them. And if they make it to a third appointment, I am so impressed. Right. They're, they're not there to do the work that they want to do, but right. people who show up and they say, and I, I kind of think of this as in, in the form and finding function kind of conversation is they say, you know, this is the form I have right now, the, the pain, the, and, you know, so in, in my world, in my scope, it's, it's biomechanical, but we know this applies to psychology and, and this even applies to, to movement and dance of, I have stopped at this form. What I am feeling now, the pain, the discomfort, the lack of movement is frozen in time. I see myself as a snapshot picture and I want the function back. And there is a journey that goes into meeting your body where it's at, meeting all of that beautiful movement and tributaries. And it can be as cut and dry as the patient needs it to be or as you know, ephemeral as it could possibly be anywhere in between, but it is a journey to find that function within the form and arrive in another place, which is just a waypoint. You know, we, we, we don't stop till we're dead. And, and then to go to that cadaver and it is one of the most beautiful relationships, you know, to have in medical school, to have this, this one body that you are learning their story. And we, we knew um, their age, um, their occupation and of, of what they died, what was on their death certificate. And that was it. But we still got to go on a journey through this dissection to find out that this patient um, is dissecting their leg and their great saphenous vein has gone missing. Where did it go? And we didn't find out till we got to the heart that it was part of his bypass surgery. That's part of his story that is told in his form, in his seashell. But we still only had the tiniest window into what that expression was for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's how we all exist in the world. The body sort of keeps the tally of these events, but all of the movement exists between them. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's beautifully said. 
Yeah, it's it just is so so fascinating to kind of dive into these places. And I think where we do well for each other as people is to put everything with that compassion because it it also just um you know it's interesting because seeing that guy too before he you know had passed away walking down the street you may not have had the whole idea of okay this is somebody who's carrying around something that's you know changed his system but and you mean the story of wow whoever was the one who first created that surgery to be able to do that mm-hmm. You know, I'm dealing with right now, I had a loved one recently go through a um, little bit of a medical event and it's, there's so many stories in there. And also the past story of whoever it was who made it possible that your loved one continues a little bit longer, whatever it is. These stories are just, yeah, so, so much amazing part of life, um, our connections, you know. And it's dynamic within the body. And I think that's something that is not common in in our culture, um, that that we don't see these stories existing and continuing with us, and that we learn our way through them and adapt our way through. There is the incident. There is the stroke, the heart attack, the brain injury, um, the, the COVID. And this is the moment. But that moment transpires in our body past the incident. And we carry that story and how we move and how we engage with the world and how we engage with our community. We are ever fluid and dynamic. And we see that in how nature moves. And and if we could take that internal microscope, we would see it within ourselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, And how do we do that? I mean, in a healthier way, because we know the animals who can just shake off and do the pandiculation, get rid of that stress response after a dramatic event. And yet we oftentimes will hold um, these responses in our body system. You've seen that too. I know from your years of practice, I've seen that where you have somebody come in and something has happened and it's still so written in the body system where maybe there could be some pattern that can unwind it and let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's interesting. We're we're all working on all of this all the time. It's such a work in process life. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that would be um, that example of the animal shaking could be considered another um, accidental observation of fascia that mm-hmm. you know. We see it, the the bunny shaking on the side of the road. Maybe um, you have a dog that gets scared by the fireworks coming up here in July and they will shake and they will move and they will not hold that story in their body, but let it move through them and out. And it was once something, I believe, because we we come come from the world of animals. We are animals. I believe the humans could once do intuitively and we have learned our way out of that by the gift and burden of a brain that can think its way through and minimize, oh, but I survived, it's not that big a deal. But right. your body still experienced it. You know, Just like we had talked about resilience at the top of the show, the resilience is learned whether you're stumbling over gravel, stumbling through a dance routine or stumbling through a traumatic event, that is still resilience learned and cognitively our body doesn't care. And that same thing applies true for for trauma and for things that are stressful. It is just the flip side of that resilience coin. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about obviously in yoga quite a lot about, you know, psychological distress comes from <clears throat> projection into the future or reflection in the past that this present moment, if you can be here in this present moment, this is the magic moment. And, you know, that can be a live life of, of easiness, but how many of us can do that on a regular basis? <laughs> You know, that's why we practice these things and practice um, trying to, you know, be healthier in the body, mind, spirit, all of that, all of the time, how we take that in. Yep. Well, I feel like as we um, wander so far and wide in the way that I love that science and nature and expression do. I mean, there's just no end to seeing that fractal spin in, spin in, spin in, and then spin out again. Um, I, I feel the need to sort of ground this conversation in a little bit of practicality. You mm -hmm. know, we, we, we cast such a wide net about what is fascia, what is movement, what is expression. And I feel, you know, wondering if our listeners are going, and what do I do about that? Thank you for this. <laughs> um, how can we bring this back into something practical for ourselves? You know, having listened to this, what I am thinking is a beautiful conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Um, I think that, you know, and maybe some of that is that we are in community mm -hmm. on a micro macro level. So there is something very real and necessary about um, being able to be okay getting that help and connection. Mm -hmm. So all the time, you know, I work primarily through movement and psychology, but there are people then I refer out to the manual therapist who needs mm -hmm. to dig in there for the fascial adhesion scar first on a really practical level. Oh, you've had this injury, you took a fall. Let's have somebody get in there with that manual work and then we'll take it into how we can move again practically. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to find that network too is something to not be afraid of, but also to um, really, I think that the best practitioners cross-reference other great cross, you know, practice. Mm -hmm so that you get there sooner. We want that. I mean, I want that. I know for clients I work with as well, healthcare in the system is, is challenged um, in the United States to say the least. Um, so we want to do as much as we can, you know, with time period, but then to, to that end too, finding that there is value um, for that time for yourself to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. that we oftentimes just really on a practical level say, well, there's another load of laundry, there's whatever. During the pandemic, for, for me, I had, the year before the pandemic had been really crazy travel and everything else. When the pandemic hit, um, I knew for myself, I had an underlining asthma. I was like, I'm going to really get out on the trail every day and commit to that. And um, like I said, I'm I'm lucky that I do have something nearby I could do, but it was also the commitment to going, I have a 10 million other things I could be doing, but I have to schedule this. I have to make this priority as well. And that that is part of health and wellness. So very simple term, honor those sorts of things. Take that as a health and wellness for yourself mm -hmm. and then find, find your community. That's important too. Um, and who is your network that you need when when things are rough? Yeah, when I love things are rough. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, we, we need that. And, and I think that this year really um, highlighted it that, you know, if we're turning towards people who who bring up anxiety and fear and um, speak ill about things that we value, I mean, there were so many topics that came up in that way. Um, that's not our community. That's not going to be the rhythmic vibration that we feel so deep into the very cellular piece of our being. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's something that our listeners take away um, from from the conversation about fascia and all of the sensory and dance, that this is this goes down to what makes us up at the most minute level. It all matters. And when we look at health and wellness and medicine in a way that we turn outward, that we turn outward away from the symptom that shows up in our body, whatever it is, um, pain, aching, nervous, twitching, um, anxiety, a stutter, uh, sky's the limit. We got a diagnosis for all of them. Um, when we turn away from that symptom and tell someone else, please give me something to make this go away, we are missing this communication within ourselves. We are missing the value that lies in the simple medicines that mm-hmm. we have somehow written off in this very glossy magazine version of self-care. When you have time, wouldn't that be nice? Instead of this is what keeps us alive and well and human. That mm-hmm. movement, that community, that rhythm, that dance. And we didn't even talk about food and water, but you know, head back in the podcast <laughs> archives. I got those conversations for too. This is about movement. Um, this is not nice to have. This is not exercise three times a week. This is getting back in touch with yourself and your vessel and your form and its function. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I get real passionate about this. Um, I am curious to hear more about um, about your work and because you do, you have an upcoming book, um, The Myofascial System in Form and Movement. That that sounds a lot, a lot like it's appropriate right here. Tell us. Tell yeah, us. it's a lot of the type of things we've been talking about. And that's going to come out next year from Handspring Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, Handspring is a publisher that just does so many wonderful books, especially lot of books around fascia and movement and, and these sorts of areas. And I'm so, so thrilled to um, be part of this family. And this book has transformed a little bit since the very beginning of me starting on it. But what I have discovered is this is where I'm really passionate about speaking on this on both the micro and the macro level, and also having a lot of people welcomed at that metaphoric table. One thing I always find too is communication. Like I said, sometimes it's ironic because like I'm always working on it too with people. I think we all are working on some of these things to get better. Um, But I want a conversation where people can feel welcomed and you can talk with the guy who, you know, wrote about the interstitium and he's fascinating and he's going to be in the book um, as well as somebody who has been doing also Um, some of the applications into movement and what they've been exploring, um, let alone, you know, so different areas so that we have the personal trainer talking to the doctor, talking to the whatever. They all have value at this table. They have a a great place to be together and I'm welcoming them all in um, because, you know, I've been lucky to find a lot of people along the way that I just feel like have some interesting little 
pieces of this whole conversation. So that is a lot of that book. It will cover some of the different ideas from some of the historical build up to where we are now, what we understand, um, but also some of the different, you know, disciplines and ways of looking at that. So, yeah. Oh, oh, I'm excited for that already. I, I love all the pieces. So I'm going to look for that in 2022. Um, please let me know when I can start pre-ordering. Um, yeah, absolutely. We will have information maybe around the time the podcast comes out. The um, We can get a discount code for your listeners for um, pre-orders. So we'll, we'll get something together for that too. So Beautiful. Yay. Oh, congratulations to you. That is so much work. Um, yeah. So we'll, We'll look for that. Still working on it, so yes, still okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's the fluidity; it never really stops. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so we'll look for that. Um, thank you so much for sharing that with with our listeners. And Lori, thank you for sharing your passion and your wisdom. This, I think, was just such a beautiful conversation. And when it comes to the body and movement and and deep science of being, um, it can't help but sound like poetry. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That really touches me to have you say those words too. So thank you so much for the invite. It's been, it's been a wonderful conversation. And that's what, like I said, I really enjoy. So thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in, joining us for another episode as we move along this movement of health. Thank you for joining the Healing Ground. How many more puns can I throw in there? Uh, We will see you next week for another episode. In the meantime, be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. Ask the right questions and seek out professional help.